0: We don't get to pick and choose what we connect with, and 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 in that exact same vein, like I don't get to just be a martyr for LGBTQIA uh, plus people because, foundationally, the people who fought for my rights also overlap. You know, like they, they Marsha P. Johnson is a trans woman of color. Um, she launched mm-hmm. so much of what um, you know. I have. I get to lay claim to in terms of you know what I get to celebrate. Mm-hmm.
1: Broken copier, a conversation about teaching. My name is Jim Mayers. And before we get started, a couple reminders about the show. Uh, first, this is an independent and listener supported podcast. The goal of the show is to connect with a passionate, diverse group of educators to bring helpful analysis and collaboration to support folks in the classroom. Most importantly, the show is about saying thank you to all the teachers out there, past, present, and future, who understand their classroom practice through a lens of social justice and change. Nobody knows better than folks who work in schools, what's at stake for students and communities right now, and we want to keep saying thank you and to encourage you to keep up the good work. If this is your first time listening, welcome. We'd love to hear from you on social media at The Broken Copier, and you you can subscribe to episodes and other writing at thebrokencopier.substack.com. If you'd like to support, we'd love for you to rate and review the podcast wherever you stream or just to text a link of an episode to your friends so that they can tune in as well. So uh, today on the show, I'm very excited. One of the one of these folks who's working in the classroom I'm very excited to talk to is my old college friend from the St. Lawrence Admissions Office, Sam Gratis. Sam, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks, Jimmy. I'm so excited.
1: I know. I've been really looking forward. Ever since you reached out on, uh, I think, Instagram like to connect about this, I've, I've been recounting a lot of the conversations that we've had about teaching, even when I was applying to TFA in, at St. Lawrence. So I think this is really exciting.
0: Yeah, you were you were applying for TFA at the same time I was applying for Peace Corps and applying to be an education volunteer overseas. So this is pretty surreal. That's right. We found ourselves like, what now? I guess like t- 11 years later, kind of just coming back together to talk
1: about education. Yes, um, so I have, I want to get into a little bit of your background and kind of what your role is now and how you got into teaching, but I've been waiting to share this little anecdote to start the show with you. Um, when I first moved to Brooklyn, I had no, so this was, I think what, 2017. Um, and I just, I owe you a real thank you because when I first moved to Brooklyn, I was living out of an Airbnb. I had like no uh i had i had no apartment um i had no idea what i was doing i was very overwhelmed and do you remember when we went out to dinner i think you took me out to dinner uh at like a fried chicken place in bedside i don't know if you remember that yeah
0: peaches i think it's peaches hot
1: peaches yes uh so anyhow that was like a really uh grounding i don't know like it felt like i was in this very unfamiliar world and You know, you reached out, and you were very kind, and a familiar face. And I don't know. I just I've always remembered that. uh, It meant a surprising amount to me to to you know have you sit down and say, all right, well, this is what you got to know. So anyhow, thank you very much for that. I I still remember it. It It's a great meal, and I appreciate that.
0: I I mean, you're you're welcome back anytime. I I would love to have you back here. It's too bad we never truly. I don't think we ever like fully overlapped as much as we we should have here would have been yeah would have, we would have been a force to be reckoned with but
1: i i I'm agree glad you're, I, i'm
0: glad you're in boston and i owe you a congratulations on uh your wedding and uh, you're you're married now because i think at the time I, that i saw you in brooklyn you were like moving in the direction of being really excited about the person you were with so this is it's very exciting
1: Thank you. Yes. Aaron and I got married in December, so uh, newlyweds very recently. So thank you. Thank you. Um, so let's start here. Just let's give a background of teaching. How did you get into teaching and try to give like the elevator pitch of starting a teaching into where you are now?
0: So I started working, I guess, I, I guess I would call it sort of working in education, at, you know, with Peace Corps um and i was i started technically as a youth development volunteer working in my title was a girls education and empowerment volunteer and i was working on making sure we were increasing access and uh and retention of of girls in schools in burkina faso and um a, surprisingly a lot of the work that i ended up doing was doing teacher trainings And uh, with those trainings, it was, you know, working on positive discipline techniques in the classroom, removing corporal punishment and trying to get an understanding of power dynamics and uh, gender-based violence in schools. And, you know, it dawned on me that I was asking a lot and demanding a lot of teachers in Burkina Faso in terms of, um, you know, how are we changing sort of the practices that occur in and out of the classroom or administratively. And I had never really had the experience outside of being a TA in college. Uh, I'd never really had the experience of being a teacher myself. So I kind of told myself in that experience I was going to come back to the United States and really make sure that, you know, I was uh, speaking uh, more meaningfully about, you know, my values with what education should be and, and really being able to tie it back to my own experiences as a teacher. Um, so I came back um, and I taught for four years uh, at Success Academies in New York City. So I taught for a couple of years in Harlem and then, you know, living in Brooklyn, uh, as you know, traveling from Brooklyn to Harlem was was quite a bit long way. Um, and I wanted to really give more and, and be more present with um with schools uh, and with my school and with my students. And so I transferred to a success academy in Brooklyn. And that was, you know, that was my third year of teaching. And that was when it really sunk in that, like, I could do this, that I could work in education, and I could be successful and, um, you know, develop a classroom culture that really aligned to, to my values. And it was uh, such a positive experience. Um, I ultimately ended up, Uh, being a little bit too kind of like ahead of myself and thinking that I was ready to move into school leadership uh, after, you know, a couple of years of really successful results um, and I was not ready. Um, And so I ultimately ended up kind of uh, deviating slightly and going back overseas to work in some project management. I was working on some education programs in Cameroon and uh, Afghanistan and um, got to, I think, really push my own boundaries of uh, what I thought I was capable of in terms of managing projects and also just living in an environment that is um, really challenging uh, for fairly obvious reasons, just like a lot of emergency contexts in which I was working. And, um Really, I guess um, you know, being a queer person, you know, I was living in countries where you know there was the death penalty for being gay. So, um, you know, I kind of it was a good wake-up call to say, uh, you know, go back and work in an education in the United States and in New York City, where mm-hmm. you were, you know, comfortable and you had a place and you belonged. Um, so I came back, taught for another year, went into instructional coaching, uh, where I am now at uh, classical charter schools in the South Bronx. And uh, this past May, or sorry, this past March, I took over um, as school director at my school. Um, And so it's been a really uh, intense uh, learning curve, uh, despite, you know, already being at the school and knowing a lot of the processes, but uh, it's been really awesome. I really have loved working at my school and really especially love the people I work with. So it's been really a nice start so far. But we'll see how I feel, you know, once I start really getting into the beginning of a full school year. So
1: well, first of all, congratulations. I know uh school leadership is extremely hard. I have a lot of empathy for uh instructional coaches and administrators. I know that it's people say teaching is a thankless job, but I, I know for sure that being a principal is a thankless job as well. So um Congratulations, I think is the right. biggest thing to say.
0: <laughs> well, thank you. I, I really, you know, if you'd asked 2017, Sam, if uh, they thought this was going to be possible, uh, they would not have been so sure. So, um, you know, it's been yeah. uh, it's been really rewarding and, and kind of like a healing process for. Uh,
1: think we had a little audio oh we're, we're back.
0: back yeah someone just tried to call me and we're clearly back clearly very very popular
1: that's this okay hour, apparently well it's 2022 so we can do podcasts on the phone so uh that'll happen um and tell me a little bit about tell me a little bit about classical charter schools i was reading i i read the website uh students speak students have a um they speak Latin. They, they have a core, yeah. core curriculum in Latin. Is that right?
0: Yeah. So it's a classical curriculum. Um, and so they get they in third grade, they start learning uh, Latin. Um, and so they they get to, you know, they get to learn a lot of the classics. They get to have, um, you know, they get to study social studies and science and Latin starting in third grade, kind of as uh, like a really intense sort of content. And then in fourth grade, they layer in uh, debate, um, and then um, I would say somewhat similarly. You know, I worked in an immersion school for a year, and I think the the intensity and the of the Latin program definitely increases as they as the scholars move into middle school, and so they actually take the national Latin exam in middle school, and our kids do really well on that, which is such a good boost uh, for for them, for their confidence, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's really, uh, especially like going into high school, which is such a competitive process in New York City. It's really nice that they get, they have this, you know, opportunity to really speak to something that's quite unique uh, in terms of their elementary and middle school experience. And it's, you know, I think we all, I had the experience of being in high school and everyone's saying like, oh, you know, like Latin is so helpful for the SATs or whatever, but it's, you know, our kids, uh, already sort of feel and, you know, get that connection with, um, language and prefixes and suffixes and just like, um, like really dissecting words, um, and their meanings and and the history behind that language, um, from a really young age, which is super cool.
1: I mean, as an English teacher, my heart, uh, I feel like my Grinch heart is going, uh, three sizes larger here. So I, I love it. Yes. Um, yeah. So I'd love to shift gears a little bit and just talk talk about your leadership. Um, so a little while ago, I think it was on Facebook, you posted about being both non-binary and a principle. Um, and I was just wondering if you could speak to that a little bit. How has, how has your identity as being a non-binary person informed your leadership or has it informed your leadership? I don't know. I guess I, I thought it was really courageous and, and poignant for you to make that connection for people. So I just wanted to have you, I just wanted to ask you about that.
0: Yeah. I, uh, well, well, thank you. I, I, uh, I don't often get to kind of like pause and think about, you know, what is courage look like in a, in, in the education workspace when there's so many, you know, identity markers that inform, I think, the work that we do. Um, and I would say that, for me, um, how it has shown up is it's it's really been kind of this wonderful, uh, I, I guess, like, illuminating experience for... Uh, really sort of pushing boundaries, uh, both for myself and I think on behalf of the organization and the way that we function. So uh, I think, you know, I'm sure you can hearken back, you know, with your experiences with instructional coaching and, and you know, uh, leadership in schools, you know, there's so much literature that is is common across uh, different school organizations, you know, people read Radical Candor, people read uh people are obsessed with Elena Aguilar, you know, it's everybody reads uh all of this amazing literature that's that is great resources. And I, I remember hearing, you know, uh or or talking about very early on and in, in moving into coaching, this like, it's either a skill gap or it's a will gap. <laughs> and and of course, you know, I, I have this sort of like mental gymnastics that I go through anytime someone presents a binary to me and I, and I try to like, uh, untwist it and sort of say, well, but is it also like, is there a skill for developing will, or is there a will for skills? Because so much of like, so much of how we engage our skills is dependent on our will for being successful in our skills or not, or like pushing Beyond our failures, and that's like a, there's cultural differences in that, you know, people in collectivist cultures uh, don't um, aren't motivated motivated necessarily as much by their successes as they are by their failures. Whereas we are very success driven. I majored in French because it was the first subject where I was like, oh, cool, like I'm actually doing really really well and excelling in this, um, and I want to continue with it, um, and. So you know, but th- th- that's only one example of I think a lot of binary thinking that comes up in in the educational sphere. Like, you either you know it's we are it's September twenty twenty. You either want to stay home entirely from, uh you know, and and save yourself from COVID, or you want to fully return yourself to the school building. You know, you're in one of these two camps. Well, actually, I'm not. Um, I am. Very much so excited to go back um, because I felt my self-efficacy as a remote coach to be quite, uh, quite low. But at the same time, I am also very cautious of you know what this experience means and what and what returning is going to look like for the psychological safety of myself and, and others and in and, and working during a global pandemic. I can't clearly define myself in one of these two sort of lines of thinking and um it showed up in our dress code um at one point our dress code was written and said something to the effect of you know uh, we are we dress business casual and for men this means wearing ties and slacks and a button-up t-shirt and or not t-shirt but button-up shirt um uh, for for women, it means this. And I kind of you know sat down with uh, our HR generalist at the time, and I said, "So, what would you like me to wear?" Um, because I don't really feel myself fitting into either of these things. Um, and there are people in the world um, who don't fit into either of these categories. And so that was a really exciting push for our organization to recognize that we actually can't and. We just fundamentally, by law, can't uh, define our dress code and our grooming standards in a binary format. Um, and you can't force um you can't force men to wear clothes that are uh, acceptable for uh, you can't force men to wear clothes that, uh, you know, Typically men wear, you can't force women to only wear clothes that typically women can wear. If women want to wear a shirt and a tie, they're more than welcome to. If men want to wear like a blouse, you know, they are more than welcome to. And that's like, that's near. And that's, I don't know how much of that is like New York State versus New York City, but it's very defined for New York City. So this, it was... A very exciting sort of push uh I think mentally that you know we have to as we sort of like problem solve in leadership, we often find comfort in like it's either this or this and and that that line of thinking fails us uh so often um, because it it doesn't put doesn't allow for nuance and it doesn't allow us to think beyond
1: you know what what is present in front of us i i appreciate the... I I mean, there's just... I'm thinking of like hundreds of different ways that there's very binary thinking presented in education. Um, And I also am thinking of when I first read Elena Aguilar and how invested I was in her writing. And I remember uh, as I was sort of developing as an instructional coach, completely shifted my thinking around just how much anything that happens in a classroom is rooted in a person's identity, and it's like it. Like I w- imagined myself as an instructional coach, like going ticking off boxes and things of, you know, this is what we want to see, and this is the best way to uh, do this, and this is what it should look like, and all of that stuff can be really helpful. But if a person is not invested emotionally, psychologically, ideologically in this space, um, you know, it's almost pointless. And so I think, I don't know, it's really interesting to hear you reflect on that and how, you know, your own gender identity and expression is is sort of rooted in, you know, how you operate day to day, I'm sure in really big ways and in really small ways.
0: Yeah, I would say, yeah. I mean, I would say that uh, it's funny because uh, today I ended up sending... Um, like a PDF copy of Elena Aguilar's Exploring Identity Markers to um, some staff members as sort of like a team building activity because I found that it's that particular activity where you kind of have to identify, um, you know, which of these identity markers did you identify with as a child or which are most prevalent for you now? What what feels least prevalent? What feels least important? Um, you know, I think that I was trying, and I, I really am not intelligent enough to like conjecture on this, I guess, but I think I, I was, yesterday was our whole network staff kickoff and, you know, it's sitting in a room with over 200 educators who, they're, every single person in that room has a personal experience with and a history behind the work that they are about to engage in, in in this school year, and I was like, you know, do do lawyer like it's not a guarantee that 100 percent of lawyers in a law firm have some sort of like personal relationship with law from you know from their upbringing that also like connects to their identity like that's that's a given for some but it's not a guarantee and it's like not this universal concept whereas education is so profoundly personal and and working in education is so profoundly personal and I think. Um, I guess for me and being non-binary, um, and, you know, before coming out as non-binary, coming out as gay and coming out to my students, um, I think I, it took me a long time to get to the place that, you know, how much my ego impacted, um, teaching and how much like the, how much I'm willing to take the work so personally through my identity and what I was trying to heal for myself or heal for kids or model for kids and provide an example of for kids. Um, It, you know, I didn't really know um, how much my ego was playing into that and how much it was impacting my ability to like leave a, a positive lasting impression for the kids I was working with. And so um When I started coming out to like the cohorts of students that I was working with, I I realized just how impactful that was for them but um, but also for myself. It was so foundational in in my classroom culture because you know, not to I try not to define myself by like the worst experiences I've had, but you know, I was relentlessly bullied as a kid and, you know, bullied before I even knew who I was or had the language around who I was. I was called gay before I knew what gay was. I was, you know, made fun of for my femininity before I knew what, like, what it meant to be non-binary. Um, non-binary is like for me a term I didn't even know within like the last five years. And then when I learned it, and when I saw it, and when I read about it, and you know, learn from my mentors, it, it just, it clicked. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think, uh, when it, when it was clear to kids, you know, not only am I, I gay, and not only am I gay, but I am like, it's foundational to what I want your classroom to feel like, because I don't ever want you to experience the feeling of sitting at one of these desks, being fearful or not being able to concentrate on what we're talking about because you're, you're so focused on feeling safe uh, in, in its most like basic form and not feeling threatened just for who you are. Um, and that, I, I mean, I taught third, fourth and fifth grade and that message really resonates with that age group. Cause it's like that last vestige of them willing, being willing to like please you, but also like really come starting that process of coming into their own and being open to trying on new identities
1: yeah and i think you know i work primarily with high school kids but from what i've everything i've read and talking to people it, the research is is quite clear and, and i'm sure that you know the kids know like ki- kids kids know if i um, like even if they don't necessarily have a vocabulary to describe it, like they certainly know that they're getting bullied, they certainly know that they're different, um, and I think that is it's a and it's an incredibly powerful thing to see. I mean, I've had students tell me how important and powerful it is to see other people in the building who say, "This is this is who I am." You can be this too. Um, I don't know. It's it's. It is. I I don't really have very good words for it uh, because I haven't really experienced it myself, but I'm really thankful to work with people like you. And I don't know. That's people are very uh, courageous is a good word. Courageous is is a right word to use in this context um, in a lot of different ways, I think. So. Yeah, I think. Yeah,
0: I am. I definitely, yeah. So I, I remember some reading something recently where there's there's some, there were two benchmarks. So something like two years old and five years old related to like having a no, a basic knowledge of knowing like a difference in gender and, and like within yourself or um, within others. And then also like conceptualizing the concept of otherness and being an other. And so, you know, when, when i posted on linkedin about you know what my personal scope and sequence is for pride month when we're talking about pride it's like i need i need everybody to be on the same page that you know when we take an approach about diversity equity and inclusion like this pride and gender identity and gender expression and sexual orientation that is that is all with, within the umbrella of dei and we don't get to pick and choose what we connect with and, and and in that exact same vein like i don't get to just be a martyr for lgbtqia uh, plus people because foundationally the people who fought for my rights also overlap you know like they they marsha p johnson as a trans woman of color um she launched mm-hmm. so much of what um you know i have I get to lay claim to in terms of, you know, what I get to celebrate uh, in New York City and just in in general and in life. And um, so I, you know, I have to think about how all these identities intersect, of course, but um, I, you know, it it frustrated me to no end when, um, and I think this is that same like binary thinking, like, uh, It frustrated me to no end when I was like, here are some resources for your schools about, you know, uh, how to celebrate Pride and then seeing, you know, other people communicate to their schools and being like, here are some resources for Pride. Like, here's a PowerPoint. Also, just keep in mind, like, not everybody, not everybody is accepting of, like, you know, being LGBTQ because, you know, you have different religions and X, Y, and Z thing. And it's like, Mm -hmm. this is a PowerPoint that has famous people who are are gay like this is not a roadmap for like how to become gay this is you know and that's so much of what gets equated when we talk about pride is just like this exoticism of of being lgbtq and um it was it was really disheartening and and there's this like idea of pouncing on the fact that like some religions you know don't accept and it's like You've opened yourself up again to this binary thinking that I'm either LGBTQIA plus or I'm devoutly religious. And there's no opportunity to be religious and to be LGBTQIA at the same time. Those, those identities are going to exist. And there is going to be a child in your class who is being raised uh very fundamentally christian very fundamentally catholic as i was um and they are also going to identify with uh you know being gay being bisexual being trans and by you reinforcing the idea that we're one or the other that child no longer has a space to to lay claim to their intersecting identities so like you don't get to speak for kids in terms of what what they think and what they feel because our kids are far more accepting than we ever were as kids. Um, and so I was really, that was sort of like me getting into my, sometimes I use LinkedIn to get my like gay pettiness out of my system because it's like, <laughs> it's, it's sometimes it feels like the only safe space to do that in a professional context.
1: Sure. I think I, I, LinkedIn I suppose is as good of a platform as any. Um I want to I want to just talk pr- like very directly about some of these tensions. You you brought up the religious tension between LGBTQIA students and teachers um, and you know religious beliefs and I think that I mean edu- I feel like teachers I'm sure you probably have felt this way. Education is in the crosshairs politically and I think this is like at the center like uh, especially like really vitriolic messaging around trans teachers and trans kids um, and just like just having books and material in class that uh, tells a story of gay people like seems controversial, which is kind of mind-boggling to me in 2022 but um, I- I'm just kind of wondering like is this is is this something that you pay attention to or is it something like the I, I and i and by this i mean like the media and the political in like fighting and the really i don't want to like get into it much but there's just a lot of really nasty stuff that's being said in in by like politicians and pundits and that kind of thing. Is it something that you pay attention to or is it something that you ignore and you're like, no, I, I, I know what my job is and I don't really have time for it? I mean, I
0: definitely wish I had more bandwidth to sort of like engage politically uh, with kind of, you know, like beyond my own personal political sphere, I would say. Um, you know, like Florida, what is going on with, Yeah. don't say gay. And it's like, (laughs) gay, (laughs) I said it. Um, but yeah. And I had a teacher this year, uh, leave, uh, they, they're moving to Florida. And like my final closeout conversation with them was like, so you're going to say gay, right? Like you're going
1: to, you're (laughs) going to do that. Right. Uh, you can say that you're going to
0: do it. Right. Um, and I, um, I would say, you know, probably the only thing that i have like ever appreciated seeing from our mayor eric adams is like some podium where i think on the front of it it said like we say gay and i was like okay cool great despite the fact that like you've hired some people on on your committees who like basically reinforced like the death penalty in Uganda or some story. And there's like some, he has like some political appointee who is like terrible on LGBTQ Mm. rights. Who's on some like central committee for him. And I'm like, okay, thanks for the lip service.
1: That sounds like New York politics. Sounds
0: like New York politics. (laughs) Um, But uh, you know, I, and so like, that's actually, um, you know, and that's local. And, and so I I don't I tend not to think too heavily about stuff outside of New York as much because I feel like there's enough that needs to be addressed in in the immediate sphere of you know whether that's within my own school within my own organization within New York City schools in general and just like t- uh, advocating on behalf of LGBTQ teachers um, I had an experience where um, a parent i i loved this experience i sometimes i like i used to be so conflict averse and now i like i think as a result of i mean if there's one thing that classical charter schools has given me as in terms of my development as a leader it's like i am able to be direct now in a way that five years ago i would have like been so indirect so verbose so passive like I've cut that out of my life. That I'm like ready to hit things head on. And I had a parent um, write a message to uh, a teacher that I coach, um, who was LGBTQ, identifying, and and said, I you know I can't believe you came out to the class. Um, like that's deeply inappropriate. I can't believe you would do that. Um, you know, like talking about your your girlfriend and your in your orientation uh, slides for the beginning of the year. That's deeply inappropriate. Um, the teacher was. Obviously, upset for obvious and justifiable reasons. And so I pounced on this situation um, and called the parent in for a meeting um, and, you know, just gave her an opportunity to kind of share her piece and and let her get her side out, get her a little comfortable. And then I just went in and I said, you know, just so you know, there's New York City human rights law. And if you were ever to um, require one of my teachers uh, to not come out and and actually just discriminate against them in a way that you would never require a straight teacher to do. Um, You know, that would be, we could be fined for that. And and I'm not really interested Mm -hmm. um, in breaking New York City human rights law. And I'm sure you're not either. Um, So this is going to be the first and last time we ever have this conversation. And you may never speak to my teacher like that ever again. And you owe her an apology.
1: Did they apologize? They did.
0: And then they cried immediately, which, you know, um, I, uh, I would too, if I was called out for you know, bigoted thinking and that, and I had a blind spot for something that I hadn't really thought about, like it, that's, that's hard. But at the end of the day, like I, I have to have like a singular focus for, um, supporting all teachers, all the teachers on my coaching load, but especially, or who were on my coaching load, um. But especially my LGBTQIA teachers because they face uh, such um, double standards um, that are so like it's so hard to see from the outside now, not being in the classroom.
1: Yeah, those types of of family interactions, and honestly, even sometimes like professional interactions with people that are, are very blatantly have double standards and, and are bigoted. I feel like those are the common examples that I think about when like, if I'm imagining like the challenges of, I mean, I come from a place of a lot of privilege. I, you know, am not very conscious of these things uh, on a day-to-day basis, certainly more now than I, than I used to be. But the point I'm trying to make is, you know, that to me seems like a, the type of conflict that I could imagine someone uh, having to navigate in their position. And I was wondering if you, if there are any other misconceptions that are like maybe a little bit more nuanced about being either a non-binary school leader or an LGBTQ teacher that, you know, people don't make, really think about as, as often.
0: Um, I think when I first started teaching something that sort of like drove me um, insane was like we have so much implicit bias around um like lgbtqia people being caretakers or being like being able to display affection without it being overtly sexual so like i would you know i described to um i described to a relative a, a close relative you know like uh, i love being i love teaching third grade like the kids are so eager to please. They like come up to me every day. They give me a hug, you know, at the start of the day. And it's just like, it's such a great start to the day. And they're like, oh, you shouldn't be hugging kids. Like, you know, you need to like not, you know. And like, to be clear, I worked at a place where, you know, there, there was no policy around this. So there was like not, there was nothing like, um, there's no issue there. And this same relative had, you know, had like nose female, straight female teachers who no one would bat an eye at at a female teacher hugging a child because we have these implicit biases that, you know, stem back to, like, just very basic core gender roles that, you know, female teachers are maternal and they, you know, like they, you know, they, they care for feelings and they are the huggers and like, how dare you? And, you know, at the time I wasn't out as non-binary, but like, how dare you as this male and, or male presenting person, you know, like hug kids, that's completely unacceptable. And it's like this, I'm, I'm a human being that is doing the exact same thing that, you know, any female teacher we, we laud them for, we praise them for, we publicize as, you know, part of the work that you know, that excites uh, teachers. Um, and so that was that was something early on, that I experienced, I would say, I don't know if it's so much as a misconception, but it's definitely like a, uh, more of like, I guess, like a, a microaggression, um, is, you know, in, in an effort to be so polite, um, people really seek a way to kind of address me, uh, that, and the, you know, the natural word is, you know, people look for sir or, or ma'am and it, mm-hmm. and I'm not a sir, like sir is a male defined term. I'm, I'm not a ma'am either. Like I'm not, I'm not a woman. So just, just call me mixed. And, um, that's been, uh, that's kind of like my next sort of hill to climb with people. Cause it's at the core of that is like, if you're calling me, sir, like, you you don't see me for for who I am. You don't you don't recognize that like I've gone through this very intense and in a lot of ways exciting but in other ways painful experience of coming into my own as someone who, you know, I, I guess I vary between being identifying as like, am I gender fluid? Am I gender non-conforming? I'm not sure which term under the umbrella of non-binary fits me in this phase or in this day. Um, but when you call me, sir, it's just like, you, you don't see the work that I've done or I put into coming into my own. And that's, that's been hard. So, uh, that's been, that's been the, the toughest slight to deal with. Um, but I think outside of that, I would say, you know, the, the pieces around like what, what the expectations are for, um... LGBTQ teachers versus, you know, straight female teachers. has been uh, a hard thing to observe.
1: Yeah. Do you have advice for people? I mean, there's, I'm sure there's a lot of either younger, maybe not even age, I guess doesn't really play that much of a factor into it, but do you have advice for either students or teachers who are navigating these decisions around coming out, uh, Yeah. I'll, I'll just stop there. I'm sure you, you're nodding. So.
0: (laughs) I would say, um, you know, I, my advice for students is, um, where do I start again and where do I end? Um, definitely be patient and kind with yourself. Um, I think, uh, I was really not kind to myself um, growing up, and um, I think when you experience so much shame for your identities, um, particularly in an educational context, it, it it can be all consuming, and and then you start to edit yourself, and you and you miss out on uh, on opportunities. I think like you know, you, you observed me singing in the singing saints and I did, uh, you know, you saw me like, I guess I, I've, I, I never did um, or not really a lot, but in high school, in middle school and high school, I did a lot of theater um, and I did musicals and I loved it. Um, I stopped in college because I experienced so much, shame that was thrust upon me in middle school and high school for doing those activities that i just i needed a clean break and i needed like i needed four years where i wasn't gonna be um you know vilified for the activities that i selected for myself that brought me joy despite the fact that they brought me joy i just need i needed i needed time and i needed to like recover um and like, find my other passions and move past that trauma. But, you know, I I sing in the New York City Gay Men's Chorus now. And that has been such a a healing experience. And it's been through that process that I realized, like, wow, if I had, it, it would be amazing if I had only known that, like, a group like this existed when I was in middle and high school, I would have, you know, absolutely been a lot kinder to myself and a lot more patient knowing what, what was awaiting me. Um, And so I think, you know, and other people say, you know, it gets better, but I think like the work, I think like that, that phrase um, can be reductive because it, it it doesn't give you the chance to actually like define for yourself, like how you're going to source yourself for your own strength. And I think like that's, uh, that's something that, um, is missing. Like people, when it, it gets better, it's like things will happen to you. But if you say, you know, be kinder to yourself and be patient with yourself, you're developing a habit and a skill that's ultimately going to serve you in the long term. So that would be my advice to kids. My advice to teachers is like the same as it would be particularly for, I don't, I don't know if I have one for general teachers, but for my, LGBTQIA teachers who are like putting their phone face down on their desk because they're afraid the screen's going to light up that has a picture of their partner on it, or um, to the teacher who is afraid to put a picture of the person they care most about in their orientation slides, um, or the person who is like boiling inside every time they hear a fourth grader say, uh, you know, like that's gay or so-and-so's gay because they're doing this. Um, I would say that the process for coming out to your class is the same process that you would that, or at least it, for me, I guess I can't really say that definitively, but for me personally, the same experience I had um, with coming out generally is the same experience I had with coming out as a teacher and that, you know, it comes with time, and you and you have like the time. You're gonna know when that time is right. And I think uh, for me, the time was right when I knew that I had put in enough work into making myself a solid teacher, and really figured out like relationship building with kids that that lived outside of sharing my identity, such that. Uh, you know, heading into the year that I finally did come out, you know, I could do so confidently because I knew I had the other inputs that I had done into the work had already served my kids well enough to know that this was not going to be a big deal for them. And I think you, it's the same idea with coming out generally, you've got to, you've got to give your inputs to yourself to have the strength and the, um, the ability to kind of weather, Uh, what others reactions are going to be to this very visceral moment for you. Um, So the time is the time will be right. But I have to say it was being able to come out to my class and both I've come out to classes in very casual ways, like in, you know, when kids see the term gay for the first time in a book and I'm like, well, I'm gay. Do you have questions? And then seeing their faces, that's fun. But like, I've also heard uh, someone say gay on the playground in a derogatory way. And I use that and I've done, I've come out in a very like negative moment. And um, I think both are okay. And um, I think it's really important to trust your instinct when it comes to coming out.
1: Yeah. I would love for you to settle a very controversial debate, particularly related to dress code uh, and particularly within your role as a principal, Sam, do you think that teachers should be allowed to wear jeans?
0: Um, you trying to get me fired, man? <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, you don't have to answer. it's a it's a hotly contested topic on Twitter on, on teacher Twitter. Um,
0: am I before I give my thoughts here, am I allowed to hear sort of like what the the major arguments are here?
1: for and against. I mean, I think as, as best I understand it, the, the major arguments against are pretty sort of old school, typical professionalism thinking students will not respect you. Uh, if you're wearing jeans, you don't, you don't look authoritative. You have to command a certain presence. And if you're wearing jeans, you give off a vibe. That's a little bit too casual And then the arguments for it are, you know, I've heard some good and bad arguments. Uh, I think the arguments that I think are convincing in favor of teachers wearing jeans are about, like, authenticity um, and, you know, a teacher being themselves. And uh, maybe you are intentionally and knowingly trying to create a bit more of a casual classroom. Uh, presence. I've also heard arguments about like, well, we don't get paid enough, so you should at least let us wear the jeans. Um, so I love you that don't one. have to answer it if it's gonna
0: um, <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna just, you know, really do my best to kind of like pull the non-binary there, you know, not one you go one or the other here and say, or at least not fully, and I would say if if wearing jeans it should be in service of dressing in a way that's an opportunity to build, whether that's classroom culture or uh, school culture. And transparently, you can never wear jeans at classical on any day. We don't. We don't do it, and I will not allow it. Mm-hmm. So if I ever have someone from classical listening to me say these words, uh, I, I do yeah. not endorse under any circumstances, the wearing of jeans at classical. Um, But I would say that, you know, in my time as a teacher, I did have some spirit days that were, I absolutely cashed in as opportunities to wear jeans plus spirit on top. Um, And Mm -hmm. I think that that is a fair sort of meeting in the middle uh, between not necessarily making it a definitive part of a dress code, but also, grooming standard um but also yeah uh giving giving credence the idea that changing the way that you dress here and there can be an exciting way to to build
1: community best answer i've heard so far um thank you thank you so i always like to ask uh I, i like to ask us this question and end on this note um was wondering if you could just talk about a teacher in your life who had a profound impact on you and who has, you know, for one reason or another really stuck with you today.
0: Um, well, I'm going to switch it up because I always say, uh, Mr. Brown, who's my high school French teacher and to his credit, you know, he actually went to St. Lawrence. Um, okay. very much so part of the reason why I went to St. Lawrence because, um, uh, you know, I wanted to continue studying French. And I was like, this this guy is a baller when it comes to speaking French. He still had a relationship <laughs> with his host family in France. And then I got to go on spring break there. And I was like, oh, I'm going to St. Lawrence. Um, but I think that, in the spirit of a lot of what I value now in terms of being a school director and, and what I see for a lot of the kids that I work with now, I'm going to say that mrs card my fifth grade teacher uh there was a there was a i was such a good student like i was such an like teacher's pet to the like every definition i think that people used for it um and I always felt like I had to be kind to teachers because my mom was like on the PTA and was very heavily involved. So I was like, this is going to come back to bite me or come back to bite her if I'm not like absolutely an angel in class. Um, And but there was a brief period where I was sort of like pushing the boundaries and and trying to act out because I was starting to pick up on the fact that I was different and really feeling the need to really feeling the need to express myself and to be seen in uh, an act in a way that was going to get me noticed. And I also was getting a lot of like negative reinforcement of uh, seeing kids like misbehave and, and then them saying like, you know, if you do this thing, like, you know, you can be our friend. And so I was fully on board with that and she pulled me aside and she gave me, she was like, you know, I want I've noticed that like, you're, you're not acting, you're not acting like your usual self. And I don't know why that is, but I want to help you. And like, I want us to come up with a symbol together that, you know, when I see you doing something it's our symbol, like, and I'll, I'll do this symbol or this gesture, and it'll be a cue for you to stop doing it so that, you know, you can still focus. And she would like pull on her ear. And that was like my cue, like, oh, she's noticing me, but she's noticing me and helping me to to be better. And, you know, there was like a little bit of a, you know, a detour in fifth grade, and I was able to to get it back. And I I really think back on that and just think about how personal all of my relationships were with my fourth and fifth graders and how important that was. And also I tell people now, like I'll never, I'll teach third grade through like April of fifth grade um, and not beyond April. So kudos to you, Jimmy, for doing yeah. high school. Cause I'm like, I, I would never be able to um, right back at you. I, uh, <laughs> I'm very happy that my school is K to five because my fifth graders have no reference point for what middle school is like. Uh, yeah. But um, I've, that was, that was a really foundational experience that I, I carried into my, my teaching experience.
1: That's really beautiful. Thank you for that. Um, Mix greatest. Thank you so much for your time. And remember all you classical teachers out there can't wear jeans, so that settles it. You can't.
0: You really can't.
1: All right. Thank you, Sam.
0: Thanks, Jimmy. It was so good to see you and talk to you. You, too.
1: You, too. Yes, you, too. This was great. Appreciate it. The Broken Copier is an independent, listener-supported podcast for teachers. The show is written and hosted by Marcus Luther and myself, Jim Mares. I do editing and sound design for the show as well. Thanks to Casey Roberts a blues musician born and raised in the Mississippi Delta, for writing and supplying original intro music. Thanks to Tom Chitari, a jazz musician, composer, and teacher, currently based in Australia. Right now, you're listening to Woodstock from his album Garden, available now on Spotify. You can stream his music under the name Uncivilized. Fun fact about the album, it includes vignettes from a single called Rain Stomp, which was originally written to support Stacey Abrams' Fair Flight Action Network for Super Tuesday in 2020. Check out all his work at guitaruncivilized.com and uncivilizedtom.com where you can sign up for guitar lessons on Zoom just like I do. Links are in the show notes. Thanks very much to my sister, Courtney Malavic for the graphic design you see on our social media and episode posts. Thanks to Brandon Piasecki for helping to get this project off the ground. The goal of the show is to connect with a passionate, diverse group of educators, bring helpful analysis and collaboration, and celebrate everyone doing the hard work in the classroom. We hope to connect and direct time, resources, and energy towards concrete efforts that will improve student outcomes, especially in marginalized and underserved communities. We are not the only ones doing this. We want to honor and say thank you to the many educators out there, past, present, and future. Who already understand their classroom practice through a lens of social justice and change. We'd love to connect with you, hear about what you're doing, and give you a space to share your work. If you want to support the show, you can help us grow and connect for free. Reach out on social media at the Broken Copier, text an episode link to your friends in education, or even share an episode to your own social media feeds. You can email thoughts, feedback, and ideas to the broken copier at substack.com. You can also read other essays and thoughts on teaching and learning at thebrokencopier.substack.com, where we publish all of our episodes, available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.